Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and sports nutrition professor of several years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Several, yeah. Uh, this is Phil Stevens. I'm a strength coach. I'm an athlete. Powerlifting, Highland Games, a bunch of other stuff. I run Strength Guild, uh, amongst other endeavors. Hi, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson, exercise physiologist, faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, and we'll be teaching again online in a couple of weeks, and I'm actually at home now. Actually at home. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was in Seattle last week presenting at AHS. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. None of us are at the Olympia. No, none of us are there. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, today's the big day, right? Mm-hmm. Oh. As we're recording this, or was it yesterday? I think it's right now. I think it's now. Yeah, yeah. that's what I thought. Yeah. Too. I mean, it started yesterday, kind of. Yeah, but I had a student I'm to hear how it goes. Yeah, mm-hmm. I didn't even know. I didn't realize. I had a student say, "Well, what do you think about the Mr. Olympia?" I'm like, "Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I have to look into that." Well, the Rock, the Rock owns it now. Does he really? That yeah, the Rock what? bought it. Really? Uh, bought rights to the Olympia. Yeah. Wow. How much did so, he pay? I have no clue. Uh, I could probably uh, look it up, but huh. maybe, maybe he can do something with it. Um, exactly, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody with influence, yeah. All right, uh, we have a little bit of uh, mail, like we always do. We have uh, I have one tidbit of news, um, and, and then of course we can all toss in stuff on that. The topic of the day after the break, everyone is going to be um, the biopsychosocial model. So we're going to share strengths and weaknesses that we feel that we have on the biological side, psychological, and social aspects. And then we're going to talk about what we see in our clients and students, like common common traits. So because almost anything is biopsychosocial, it's very broad, it's fun to sort of create the categories, even when sometimes they blur, uh, and we'll talk about that. Okay, starting with uh, listener mail. Uh, we were speaking about this just before we hit the record button, and I got a message through YouTube. Uh, we back up on YouTube. Uh, it, we don't openly, publicly you know, advertise uh, our backup on YouTube, so if people listen to the podcast or you go to ironradio.org, that's where we back it up. Or if you want to listen through your Roku or your Xbox or something, um, it's just audio. It's just audio. But uh, So I got a message that says, Hey, Lonnie. Just some feedback on the podcast. Now, um, brace yourself. This isn't necessarily something that all the co-hosts at Iron Radio um, feel necessarily, but he says, please don't get those mind pump guys uh, on again. I didn't feel they offered anything useful. They don't seem to have any qualifications that would make them worth listening to. I found their input on the podcast to be mostly vague nothings. I feel you guys do a great job normally of keeping it to evidence-based discussion or practical discussion from proven coaches like Phil and Dan John, etc. Rather, these new age marketers with nothing to actually offer besides their personality, uh, you know, essentially not as helpful. Thanks uh, if you read this and please get Dan John on again when you can. So we got a Danny John fan here. Well, thank you, uh, listener. Uh, the the truth is we've often talked about sometimes there is, I think, a dichotomy between people who speak the loudest and people who actually are busy doing important shit, <laughs> I guess. And not to say the mind pump guys don't, but uh, we don't spend a ton of time marketing this. It's always been that sort of, you know, if you find us good on you, welcome to the fold uh, kind of thing. And just sort of a way to, to give back in a factual, instructional way. Uh, but people have different tastes, so I almost hesitated to, to share that one. But it is what it is, right? Listeners are looking for factual, evidence-based content, and you don't get a ton of that, I think. And, and that's part of why we did Iron Radio, right? There's a lot of fitness podcasts and nutrition gurus 
they're just excited about things. Uh, they're more like motivational speakers, I guess, than they are uh, uh, direct teachers and coaches. Maybe that's all I can really say. So, so thanks for the yeah. feedback. I think there's different styles too. You know, I mean, I I actually like listening to some of their podcasts. Some of the <clears throat> episodes, I'm like, eh, it's a little long. You know, some of the other ones I find are interesting, but I think it's also a fine line. You can go too far on the other side and. You know, no one wants to sit here and listen to eight studies of us reading verbatim from PubMed either. You know, you kind of want, oh, yeah. in my opinion, something in between. You know, you want something that you enjoy listening to, but, you know, you want it to be good information too. Oh, yeah. We're definitely, I always think about this pendulum that swings on Iron Radio between Egghead yeah. and Meathead. Yeah. And if we go yeah. too far Egghead, you know, behind the scenes, we'll be like, oh, we got to get a power lifter on. You know, who's... Who's interesting right now, you know? But Yeah, it would be great to get Dan Don back on again. I always love listening to him. Yeah. Well, I've said it many times. I always think of one thing with him. He's the kind of strength coach I would want to expose my own boy to, right? He's yes. got that kind of character-based enthusiasm kind of. But Okay. Um, well, here's a study. <laughs> we were just talking about this. <laughs> strength and muscle sport news. Uh, this right, was sent yeah. sent by Daniel. He says, thought you guys might be interested in this one. The authors basically show that creatine prevents diet-induced weight gain by helping fat cells adapt to increased metabolic burden. Not sure mm. if extra supplemental creatine would further enhance this effect or if just minimal levels of creatine in a fat cell are required, but interesting nonetheless. Uh if you can't get the full text, let me know. Best Daniel. Now, let me just share this much with everybody. So this is from the journal Cell Metabolism. And it's an interesting idea, right? Because creatine is usually thought of either uh, an ergogenic aid to boost repeat explosive performance or even one rep max or something with re um, uh, gains, right? Anabolic effects, cell swelling or uh, energy pool to su support protein synthesis, stuff like that. But this is about fat. Uh, so cell metabolism, the author is Kazak, K-A-Z-A-K, and colleagues. Uh, the title, Genetic Depletion of Adipocyte Creatine Metabolism Inhibits Diet-Induced Thermogenesis and Drives Obesity. So it says diet-induced thermogenesis, and listeners, most of you are familiar, but usually uh, the thermic effect of food is something like 10% of a mixed meal, right? The amount of energy that just takes to sort of process and metabolize um, the food that you just ate. But it says it's an important homeostatic mechanism that limits weight gain in response to times of calorie excess. We've previously demonstrated that creatine enhances energy expenditure through stimulation of mitochondrial energy turnover. So that's interesting. Uh, it says, here we have inactivated the first and rate-limiting enzyme in creatine biosynthesis. This is in mice. So they, they used knockout mice. So they, they created the genetic structure so they literally could not make this enzyme to make creatine. It says, the mice were prone to diet-induced obesity due to the suppression of the elevated ex energy expenditure that would occur during high-calorie feeding. This is paralleled. So simultaneously, by a blunted capacity for beta-3 adrenergic receptor activation uh, of metabolic rate. So if you're not familiar, everyone, there's different kinds of beta receptors. We typically talk about beta-1, 2, and 3 adrenergic receptors. I won't talk about alphas right now. but um, So things like a lot of stimulants, like, for example, ephedrine that was so popular, the whole ECA stack. And Mike and I even mentioned that just briefly a few weeks ago. Yeah. It, it would bind to all three of those adrenaline receptors and really stimulate your metabolic rate and, and kill your appetite and things like that. So there's a nice little infographic. Maybe I'll try to share on our Facebook page. It shows how creatine energetics influences um, essentially the adrenaline system and you know, action in a fat cell and diet-induced thermogenesis. Again, that rise in you know, metabolism after you eat. And again, if, if people aren't familiar, it's not always the case that people that are obese have uniformly slow resting metabolic rates. One of the big things that's been pointed to in the past, at least, is that they, they, they have a blunted 
rise in their metabolism that many of us get after a meal, especially like a big meal in this case. So it's interesting in this case where they removed the creatine system and then by supplementing creatine back, they were able to restore that metabolic boost after a meal. I mean, why do we, in the strength sports, why do we like protein so much? It has a bigger thermic effect of food, probably on the order of about 20% compared to carbs and fats, which might be 6 or 8%, you know, uh, elevation after you eat. Uh, so anyway, interesting paper about how creatine is, uh, is necessary, right, to keep that adrenaline system working in fat cells and getting that metabolic boost after you eat. And again, Daniel made a good point. This isn't to say that if we super saturate with creatine supplements that this will work better. Sometimes in metabolism, that could be like putting a fifth spark plug in a, a four-beater car. It's just not going to do anything, you know, sort of thing, but... It is neat that creatine actually plays a role that energy metabolism. Um, I don't know, Dr. Nelson, you, you that sounds like it's up your alley too. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, mm, <clears throat> not at this point, but that actually sounds like a pretty fascinating study. So yeah, I'd love to read the, the full version of it. It sounds pretty interesting. I wish we could do something similar like this by taking, uh, putting basically you know, young men and women who exercise, put them on creatine. So get some, you know, like a crossover study or something. It's hard to do crossovers with creatine, but see what supplementation does. You know, does it have any impact above and beyond like he was speculating? So, yeah, <clears throat> I'm trying to think of, and I haven't looked at the literature on that recently, but I don't know of any human studies that have looked at that, but you, you would think they would have been done already, but possibly not. It'd be fascinating. Yeah, I think something like, what, 95% of body creatine is actually in skeletal muscle. So maybe the other 5% yeah. get, but we both know. I mean, we've seen fascinating lectures by Tarnopolsky and those guys about what it yeah. does to your nervous system. So good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah, that is a spanking new paper. Thank you, Daniel. That was um, late August of this year. So hmm. Very cool. All right. What else is happening? Any science news out of you, uh, Mike? Um. Not too much. Um, just to, to kind of back up the the one study you were talking about there, I was looking around and there is some other data that if you take a, a mouse and you knock out basically all three of the beta adrenergics, that they become super sensitive to caloric overload, mm. right? Because they don't have any way of trying to upregulate metabolism if you kind of overfeed them. Yeah. And one thing I'm looking at the literature more now for a project that's coming up, I'll probably release the info in a little bit, is it, the whole calories in, calories out argument. And then how do it, I think it's really based on how do you adjust the gain of the system? Meaning that if you overfeed someone, do they automatically and unconsciously kind of burn that off, right? And some of the classic studies from Levine on that. And you get into thrifty versus non-thrifty metabolism and a bunch of stuff. But to me, I think that's much more interesting than everybody arguing about if calories in or calories out works and just, you know, shut up and eat less and <laughs> yeah. all that kind of stuff. I don't think is that useful where if you've got someone and we've seen this right with the effect of exercise actually helps re-regulate your body's sensitivity to calories in a short version. Um, so it's not so much that it's just burning more calories, which it does but it's also helping kind of get you back to a healthier place, right? Because I think at the end of the day, someone who is new to all this, you know, they don't want to put a, at the end goal, they want to be able to just regulate their body weight, whatever it is, with, you know, out having to track, you know, that they ate five blueberries instead of four. Oh, yeah. That seems to be the, the dietitian approach, at least in my experience. And I mean, I am one, and I don't want to paint with too broad a stroke, but... Yeah, really, portion control, yeah, if you're avoiding supersized stuff at McDonald's or a fast yeah. food, that's actually probably a good idea. Because they do entice you. For 30 cents more, you get twice as much golden oh, sure. French fry, you know. So it's actually, I once read an interesting article that it's actually fiscally smart to be obese in this country, right? Because you can get twice yeah. as oh, much yeah. junk for just a few more cents. Uh in that case, yeah, portion control. But I've actually seen people, uh, it was just a, it was more than one experience where I've seen people just, they're, they're served something and they'd send it back and say, cut the portion in half. And I don't know if there's a gender difference here. 
I tend to think there might be a little gender difference, but I don't want to sound sexist either, but there is no way myself and at least my cohort growing up in the gym, we could have survived on postage stamp sized portions of our favorite food. I, I'm not going to give Phil uh, a piece of one bite of steak and say, that's what you get, buddy. <laughs> that's I get two ounces, Phil. You better enjoy that two that's ounces. Not gonna work. That, that's not going to work. That's not going to work. Okay. Um, your body, yeah, that's the whole. Your body can't digest more than that. Oh no, I assure you, it can. Oh. <laughs> I assure you, thirty grams, man, you're maxed out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Phil, so I know you were on the road and everything. So there's probably some kind of news that was generated out of uh, out of your efforts last weekend. Oh, besides meet, right? lots of windshield time. Um, no, I want to give a shout out to another podcast because I had like I am busy. I'm really busy, um, and I never have time to listen to these things and. I had like 22 hours of windshield time in Ooh. two days. Oh, my God. So uh, I listened to Mark Bell's PowerCast with him and Jim. It oh, was great. Nice. I loved it. It was good. I, I wrote Jim. I was talking to him about it the next day. And uh, they do a good job of doing kind of like what we're doing. I mean, it's, it's like what we're doing, but different. It's it's a nice mix of uh, there's some comedy and, and things like that, but mixed with some good guests. So, um yeah, just a shout out to those guys. Keep doing what you're doing. I thought it was really good. It was very entertaining and some good information in there. So, and Jim was very thankful. He's like, oh, that means a lot coming from you. Um, but Because uh, I know they're fans. Um, other than that, no, we went to the uh, we went to the American Open Series 3. So I think we had nine lifters, uh, nine lifters there. Three of them qualified for the, the uh, finals. Nice. So good. We had a That's yeah. We good. had a real good show. I mean, we did pretty good. I think we turned some heads, and as usual, we uh, we we bucked the trends in the Olympic weightlifting world. So we had people running all over the place. If you guys are not familiar with how like weightlifting runs, powerlifting is kind of a uh, uh, each flight runs like everybody takes their first lift, then it goes back to the beginning. Olympic lifting doesn't work that way. The bar only goes up. So there's many times you might be. Following you follow yourself. yourself, yeah. Or, you know, very shortly after. Well, it's like, I don't know why, but it's become a trend in, in weightlifting that, like, people will seemingly open at, like, 98% of their final lift. What? And so, so you'll see somebody will open at, like, 90, and then it's very normal to go 92, and then 94. So they're taking, like, two kilo jumps. Mm -hmm. uh, so our girls walk up, and, like, and like, everybody does this. It's, like, written in stone. So when they see your attempts, they expect, okay, so she's going to go from 60 to 62 or 63. And then, so we have like, oh, Lindsay open at 60 and everybody's like, okay, I got plenty of time. And she hits her 60 and we go 75. Oh. And they're, they're just like, what did she do? You know? <laughs> why, why is she taking a 15 kilo jump? And that messes up the whole order that they had because basically you time your warmups. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sitting there. Okay. Lindsay, you're 25 out. Because you know, yeah. we could know what to expect these people to do. And then we do that. We throw the whole order off. And coaches are running like, oh, crap, you're up next. We don't have three more attempts. <laughs> so, but uh, no, it went good. I mean, especially for Lindsay that I just talked about. It was her first time on any stage, like, larger than a, a local meet. Yeah. So you're on this huge stage with this huge billboard flashing signs behind you and spotlights on you. And the the, the, the weightlifting, the IWF judges that are all like suit and tie, very prim and proper. Yeah. Um, so you got these three eyes staring at these and like eight judges to the side. And uh, no, she she held it together and, and competed really well. So and we had several several of the girls and guys that were like that first timers. And uh, nice. no, it's good. Ran into some people. Uh, Holly Mangold was there. She's what 2012 Olympian and stuff like that. So yeah, it was good. It was a good weekend. So cool. worth oh, the That's awesome. Sweet. Yeah. So just if I can clarify, because I, I haven't watched Olympic meets from backstage perspective, that kind of big jump, that could be a purposeful strategy. I mean, if your girls oh, yeah. are just sassy, yeah, that's one thing. But, right, that's a strategy to just disrupt everybody else, right? Get them yeah, off oh, their game. Cool. Well, we even did that, like, the thing is you can do it all the time. In weight, like in powerlifting, you have until a certain amount of time to change your opener. Or change your attempt, and then it's just set in stone. Mm -hmm. In weightlifting, it is not mm -hmm. like it, they can call you up and you can change your lift. So I mean, we'll even do it on openers. Like, ah, we don't know how she's gonna feel, so we'll call eighty-five, and we start warming up. She's like, okay, I feel good. Okay, so we just change the opener. 
<laughs> going from 85 to 95. Wow. Um, yeah. And it's yeah. like, oh, crap. <laughs> so, it, uh, especially if you do that wait to the last moment thing. And then, I don't know, it's a, you're a lot busier as a coach in weightlifting. Because then there's things like Lindsay got placed probably in the wrong flight. So she was a lot stronger than most of the girls. So both times, like after her opener, she was following herself. So in weightlifting, uh, you follow yourself, you get a two-minute clock. So basically, you take this, like her second attempt was like 99.7% of what she's ever done. So it's a hard lift. Wow, yeah. And and now you have to take your third lift in two minutes. Oh. Yeah, so so what you do as a coach, let's say she took, she took 100, and we want to go 105 next. So we let the bar go down. We call 102. And so they, the loaders set up the bar. The two-minute clock starts after they set the bar up. So we let that run down to, say, almost a minute. We call 104. It stops the <laughs> clock. They have to change the load. You know, the loaders change it. And then the clock starts up again. Okay, we're going 105. Uh, it stops again. So you can buy a little time. For your, you're not going to get much, depending on how fast the loaders are. But uh, uh, see, so you end up buying a little time for your lifter to rest and things like that. Um, or yeah, you can, I mean, you can really screw up the order if you, uh, if you take jumps and people are just, you know, you can change, uh, where somebody's going pretty drastically, especially if, if somebody's looking at you as their, like their benchmark mm. and you'll see that a lot of times you'll have, they'll, there'll be a lifter that's good. And then there'll be two or three lifters that their goal is to beat them. So that lifter jumps their opener. Oh, here we oh, go. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, up their openers now the person that was 14 spots out is like three spots out yeah, yeah. so uh and they're like scrambling to hit their final warm-ups because they thought they had 20 minutes left and now they have three yeah so it's like watching a race you know like a horse race or a human race there's strategy involved like neck and neck and yes. then somebody tries to blow out way ahead and other yeah. people are trying to draft behind them it, there's it actually creates a little bit more of an organic feel there like oh yeah tension. yeah and there's there's a little bit of drama and tension and but i still and none of us understand you know we've got we've got some fairly high olympic lifters but I mean, you see a lot of bombing out at big meets huh and that's why i can't understand why open it like 97 percent. yeah open up and get on the board you know if you get a lift in and then if you take a big jump you probably have time to go hit another warm-up yeah you just jump uh, ahead of eight people you have at least 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, go rest a couple minutes, hit something in between. Now hit your second. <laughs> you know, it just, it, it makes sense to us and it works for us. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, the, um, we'll the physiologist in me, I'm thinking like two minutes, that's not even enough for like the ATP creatine <laughs> system to reset, you know, but you would get this like nervous system potentiation that could be lingering at that, at that point, you know? So it's like <laughs> this, always this trade off between potentiation and excited nervous system versus, <laughs> energy yeah. systems you know yeah. um everybody's got to be different psychologically too wow yeah what a well and that's wow. where we end up having to train for that you know it gets close to the meat yeah. and it's like okay weightlifters i'm not gonna lie weightlifters are they're probably lazier than powerlifters <laughs> they're like because they do so many singles it's like i'm gonna take a single okay we're gonna sit here and eat a donut for five minutes <laughs> and so we get close to the meats and it's okay we're gonna put you on the clock you're gonna be lifting every minute on the minute every two minutes you know yeah Things like that, just getting him used to that, right? In case that happens, yeah. yeah. So you would think that would be an advantage, right? Because if you know you're going to go in and kind of pose up their order, and you know that that may come back on you, but if you yeah. kind of train for that, it's yeah. you know obviously having five minutes is going to be better than two, most yeah. likely. But if you've trained for it and you know what to expect, versus yeah. you know some other lifter who's used to rest in five minutes, and all of a sudden they got two, just mm-hmm. mentally they're like, ah, yeah. And for people that have never, well, new lifters, I mean, there's a reason, like, Lindsay was a little upset. She missed her third lift on snatch, and it was like, you got to realize, like, big lifters bomb out. Sarah yeah. Robles is, like, bombed out of Worlds multiple times, like, did not hit a lift. I was like, so you got to be pretty happy for your first time on a stage. Like, Oh, that. yeah. So, uh, yeah, and it's just, there's no, there is no preparing for that besides doing one. It's just, yeah. it's just totally different. So I would love to get Sarah on the on the show here you know oh, she'd love to be on the show uh, yeah i can get her on i yeah. was just talking to her yesterday mostly on you since you know her but yeah yeah like exactly what we're talking about like what's it like to bomb at a lift how do you get your head back into it really practical yeah. stuff from someone as 
incredibly strong as she is and explosive. Yeah. Know? Well, and even even when people like I'm always very impressed. Somebody comes. It's always the snatch that kind of sets your meat. It's the first lift of the day. And you'll see somebody miss their first one. Okay, they're in their head a little bit, and they know. Okay, I got to get this thing, and then they miss their second. Oh, now you're, I mean that's that's. And usually, if they do that, I see it 99% of the time. They just bomb out. Oh, at that point, they're so in their head, and the snatch. It's not like you can force it. You know, the clean and jerk you can force it a little bit. It's not like a power lift. That, right. Well, try harder. No, yeah. you were off at eighteenth <laughs> of an inch, and it made you miss. Right. It's yeah. such a technical lift, yeah. so you have to stay calm enough to be very technical under a very stressful situation and that usually does not go well um yeah, right, so seeing yeah. somebody make that third after they've missed two it's like oh that you you pulled one out <laughs> oh good job yeah heroic so yeah. yeah yeah you think of how much of that is just state management at that point yeah. you know can you you know like you said get out of your own head go back to what you've done you've probably hit it in training or been really close yes. you know hundreds to thousands of times you know, it's like it, it. You see that in any sport, right? Whether it's a free throw in basketball, or you see it in golf a lot with people who are, you know, putting under pressure, and some people do well, and some people just fold. And yeah, I almost wonder if there'd be some coaching technique where you could pretend, you know, you've just missed twice. Get out there! This yeah. is your last chance. And you know, <laughs> you, you don't want to program them. It, that's almost the opposite of like, you know, how Eddie Cohn will talk about only practicing successful lifts, mm-hmm. and he's not the only one. Um, yeah, Phil, I think you do that too. Like, it's that's just a good idea. Program yourself for success, but that might be a neat scenario, right? Say, I want you to really imagine that you've just missed two lifts. You yeah. know, what's the matter with you? you you're going to walk away with nothing, and, you know, and then try to yeah. make them be heroic and, and, and yeah. focus on the on the coordination that's necessary. I don't know. Yeah, but I think that's a. I always differentiate in between a you stress and a distress, right? So you stress is more kind of like. You know, Ed Cohn talks about, you know, try to not go to failure, try to make all your lifts. Right, yeah. But I think there's a time and a place where you kind of start getting chaotic, knowing that, yeah, there's a risk you may miss it. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't train a lot of power lifters at all, but just a handful of people I've done for that are strongman is, and then you start realizing, okay, so you may follow yourself at one time, or you may do your, your opener, and I'm going to go make you sit in the corner with no music or nothing for 45 minutes. Okay, now go again. <laughs> oh, dude! Even in bodybuilding, yeah. I remember at the it was the Mountaineer Cup. We sat around. There was all these false starts. It was they, the show was just ran oh, yeah. Now the Mountaineer is it was a huge pro power meet. So I watched Ed Cohn squat there against these these gray haired Russian guys. Everybody's squatting around nine hundred pounds. Just amazing wow. power, like pro powerlifting event. But we were the we, we were sort of the you know dessert or whatever the sideshow yeah. and god yes we sat around for like two hours imagine trying to maintain a pump backstage for two hours for two hours it, it was by the time we finally actually walked out on stage every single competitor is like i don't even care let's just let's just finish <laughs> let's this. this can we just finish yeah. this it yeah. just it sapped everybody so badly yeah anyway uh okay before we go to break uh, just a few announcements Everyone, um, check out Iron Radio on Instagram. I'm trying to be better about that. So I started a little page myself. It's just Lonnie Lowry, all one word. Uh, I have our intern setting up an Iron Radio-specific Instagram page just so we could get a little bit more cross-connection. I, you know, I'm always talking about how we're sort of insular here, and if you find us good, and if not, to hell with you kind of thing. <laughs> trying to trying to change that a little Nice marketing, Lonnie. Yeah, right. Well, the, at least the people that in the Iron uh, Brotherhood, so to speak, or sisterhood, they're like, hey, I'm in. <laughs> to, yeah, To yeah. hell with everybody else. Anyway, um, also, I'm just going to shout this out. Um, please consider budgeting in October. Uh, we're going to start our fall funds drive in October. Uh, $4 a month is uh, – we're just talking about this, right? Iron Radio is like an institution of nine years running reliably. Every week, haven't missed a week. So I think we're probably more reliable in that way than a lot of big budget production things. I mean, we have not frickin' oh, yeah. missed a week, and we're not we're gonna. We're there with Seinfeld. Yeah, right. That's right. Yeah, the Seinfeld. <laughs> <laughs> the Seinfeld of fitness podcast. Lower budget. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's something that I remember Phil and I talked about early on. Like, if there's one one rule, it has to be consistency. That's got to be above all else, and we really do. Yeah. And uh, yeah. people should know, Mike. 
you, no matter where you are in the world, you get out your microphone and yeah. your recording software, and God damn it, oh, yeah. you're on the beach, and God knows where South American American country wind <laughs> kite boarding, whatever you turned out, and you still do it. So, yeah. um, if people like that, try not to take it for granted. And so, I'm not going to start this spiel now, but in October, brace yourself. Four dollars a month is less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, uh, and I think that's the truth. Okay. We're going to break. We're going to come back. We're going to discuss biopsychosocial aspects of ourselves and the clients and students that we deal with. Hey, listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you, uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single-digit uh, royalty on the book. But that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everybody, we are back from the break. Thanks for hanging out. Uh, we're going to go into, like Lonnie talked about, um, kind of the biosocial aspects of, you know, strengths and weaknesses. What what are, what do we see in our clients or people around us the most, maybe in ourselves, uh, and, and kind of delve into that a bit. So where did you want to start this, Lonnie? I mean, with us or with other people? Yeah, let's start with with you, Phil. How about that? Okay. So biologically, uh, a, a strength and a weakness I think, oh, probably, well, I mean, you can't ignore the weakness of me just getting crushed. I mean, that's probably the biggest thing. Uh, you know, orthopedically, I was not set up for <laughs> to excel from, like, age seven. So that's probably the biggest weakness uh, that I had to address you mean there. you mean getting um, run over essentially? Yes, yeah. <laughs> right. So, that's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's exactly. literally getting crushed. So, literally, <laughs> yeah. So that's probably the biggest, I mean, and I don't know. I mean, I think, um, the biggest benefit or positive thing, um, was just learning, uh, learning my own levers and how to lift for them. You know, I think if you do that, you can set yourself up for success. If you start to understand your own biomechanics, uh, I think you need to do that first. I mean, get, get some kind of understanding of, you know, how you personally move your own lever arms and things like that. And then you can start to understand, okay, this is why this is hard. This is why this is easy. This is what I need to do to address those things. This is always going to be my weakness. Like I've got 
stilts for legs. So yeah. <laughs> squatting and things like that are always going to be a weakness. But I have this trunk that's like very short. So <laughs> that's why I was always good at good mornings and things like that. So learning how to, okay, so I need to load my, my strengths, you know, and I think right. there's, everybody talks about weak point training and I believe in it. I think it's amazing. And I think you need to address your weaknesses, but I think you need to learn to lean on your strengths. So, okay, if I'm built like this, I should probably, you know, lean on that in competition and lean on that in, in how I move. So yeah, that's probably my strengths and weaknesses. Well, one thing I notice in you biologically, Phil, is that you you seem to be built to deadlift, right? So like yeah, your, your arm exactly. length oh, yeah. versus torso yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. So what was it Danny John that said, pick something and, you know, go with that, be good at it. And your ability to run with the deadlift was partly because you're sort of born for it, you yeah, know? Yeah, no, I agree. And like Dan John was one of the people that was paramount in, in that success because I remember like when I was around 700, I was also starting to take up Highland Games and things like that. And I was talking to him about it, and he just he just shut up for a minute and got quiet. And I was like, okay, well, I'll just keep talking. And then he's, <laughs> like, he's like, Phil, let's think about this. He's like, there are hundreds of okay Highland Games throwers. He said there may be a handful of people ever that have deadlifted 750 with just a with no belt. Yeah. Why don't you maybe think about doing that for a while, and then you can come back and suck at Highland Games? <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sounds exactly so, like him. <laughs> how are you going to argue with that? You know, it's like you know, you're good at this. Chase it. You right. know, and that that helped form my appreciation for. Uh, I've spoke about this a lot lately. People, there's there's something to be appreciated in people that like dedicate years to one thing. Yeah. Uh, like running the hundred meters. Like there are people that spend like most of their adolescent and much of their adult life just doing that. And that's admirable. You know, yeah. uh, it takes a special kind of mentality to like, okay, we're running a hundred again. Even Olympic lifting. I mean, okay. That Olympics in eight years, I'm going to be clean and jerking and snatching for eight years, getting right. good at those two things. And everything, like literally everything in their life is geared towards two lifts. So Yeah, staying motivated, right? Yeah, yeah. get that extra yeah. half of a tenth of a second <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. It's like the big change for the day is, oh, I get to do doubles. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's still the same Woo. thing, you know. Yeah, yeah it, takes, no it takes a special – I mean, that's the same in any field, though. I mean, like the person that really, like, picks a certain aspect of academia and, like, becomes the expert in that instead of, like, a more broad thing. Oh, no so. doubt. No doubt. Yep. Hey, let me – I'm going to offer mine very quickly, and then we'll ask Mike about his bio yeah. issue. Only because it's very – the message is actually very similar biologically i am not big i always talk about this on the podcast i have my my knees are smaller than my wife's and she's she's petite so when i put on weight it looks like it's muscle belly you know so to, in a way that's an advantage for me that i was born you know i with that sort of x frame kind of look that works in bodybuilding and little joints make you look big and so yeah. that was a benefit for me because I only I was never more than most I ever weighed in my life was 228. And to you guys that's nothing probably. But to me that's at 59 I felt oh, like I big. was wheezing and <laughs> I could barely do a flight <laughs> of stairs. But but it felt big. But then again, that's also my weakness, right? Because little joints aren't the best at handling huge loads. And so, mm -hmm. so on on a strength front, I've just got to get excited about what you guys do <laughs> because I, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I, I, when I was young, I benched 330 uh, once. Um, I was able to do solid sets with 405 in the squat. I was proud of that. But again, to Phil's point, because I tend to be short, you know, and, and I'm bottom heavy. Everybody in my family is bottom heavy. So I had big legs and squatting was, was fun and, and a little bit easier for me. But yeah, so for me, I think biologically it was small joints. It was both a blessing and a curse. But that's why I chose bodybuilding and not powerlifting. I would suck at powerlifting. So I didn't do that. So anyway, so, all right, Dr. Nelson, then you. What about biologically, a strength and a weakness? Um, probably more on the weakness side, I would say that just some of the eye issues I've had. So for people listening, I had uh, basically a 
lazy eye strabismus. So when I was a kid, I used to walk around with like a 45 degree head tilt because that would make the world even to my brain. Mm. Um, and then I also, when I was four and a half, I had open heart surgery. So I had what's called an ASD or atrial septal defect. My heart was the size of someone who was, you know, 18, 19 years old and I was four and a half. So the good part was I was here in Minnesota and at that time there was only really three hospitals in the U.S. that did those kind of operations on kids at the time. Uh, my mom was a nurse, so she, you know, felt that something was really off. They did some imaging, but they said, oh, the hole's not that big. You know, 1978, the imaging's not really that good. And so they went in and did surgery around that time too, which was helpful. I was in the hospital for 10 days. And what's interesting now is that as I <clears throat> look back on it, you're like, oh, oh, so all those developmental things you go through from, you know, when you're born to your like, you know, early age, oh, I kind of skipped out on those because I couldn't move. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and then I'm like, oh, catching a ball. I always thought that you're just unathletic and the ball hits you in the face. That's just what <laughs> happens. <laughs> you know, so it wasn't until... Later in life, I kind of, you know, put some stuff together and I'm like, oh, oh, interesting. You know, oh, no wonder I had, you know, scoliosis and all this weird structural stuff. You know, my body's twisting around the image that it's seen. Um, Yeah. So the benefit to that, though, and for a while I went through a period of time going, oh, this, you know, sucks. Why did all this stuff happen to me? Blah, blah, blah. But the benefit is that it drove me to try to figure out different things, you know, take courses on just you know, what happens when your eyes are kind of goofy, you know, and how do you fix that? How do you change it? Uh, structural stuff, probably no surprise. I worked for a cardiovascular company in med tech for, you know, 10 years. Um, <clears throat> and for lifting, what I found was probably like six years ago or so, the more oddball the lift was, the better I just did just intrinsically, you know, like in high school, I got crushed by the bar, you know, squatting was horrible. First deadlift I did was in college at 95 pounds. Um, but yet, if you put me in an asymmetric type stance, oh, it's actually easier. Hmm. Oh, and I'm weird, it doesn't cause me a lot of pain. I remember I was training with Adam Glass one day, and similar to your Dan John comment, Phil, he's like, so wouldn't your life just be kind of better if you just, you know, did some of the stuff you're actually just a little bit better at? I'm like, yeah. He's like, isn't it just kind of more fun? I'm like, yeah, it is. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, why am I trying to pound the square peg in the round hole? You know, not that you shouldn't do some other things, but um, yeah. So that's why I ended up doing kind of more of the oddball Denny Stones and some other stuff like that. Hmm. And what I find is just, for me, it's just, it's more fun. You know, you have certain lifts that you just really enjoy and ah, I don't really care if anyone else thinks they're interesting or not, or even know what they are. Um, but as long as you enjoy them and find some enjoyment from the process, I think that's all that matters. It's a good lesson. Um, yeah. Okay, this this topic is probably too large to squeeze into one episode, honestly. But let's stick with bio quickly. Phil, what do you see biologically in your your clients' strengths or, or weakness? Like something that's just common that you see. Oh, I mean, I'd say now. I mean, uh, almost everybody that walks in is like has a weakness of their entire posterior from the back of their head to the back of their heels, mm. you know, yeah. as far as bio. I mean, it's just, it's every day. It's everybody. Um, and I'd say even at this point, even people that you'd consider athletic in our day and age are that way. And it's, it's largely due to our lifestyle. Um, cause everybody's hooked up to a phone or the computer and in school they're doing it now. Now they even move less in school. Um, so hunched over, I'd say that is the, that is the number one thing I have to address. Uh, it's either that or just, well, I think they go hand in hand, but horrendous mobility um, mm, yeah. due to that. Um, so everybody's like uh, internally rotated and, you know, weak glutes, weak hamstrings, weak lumbar, weak thoracic, weak, with, like I said, top to bottom. Um, so we have to address that right off the bat with everybody and even just teaching them how to use that. Everybody's, everybody's quad dominant and everything. Um, and it's not that I want you posterior dominant. I just want it to take its fair share, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, and, uh, so that's probably the, the, the weakness. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah. Ah, I, I mean, I will twist this as far as a strength. Everybody's well fed. They're big. 
You know? oh. <laughs> and so uh, that can be a good thing if you're a strength coach. I mean, especially, well, now I'll say that now that I'm in the Midwest. Right. I was gonna everybody say, eats yeah. enough. Yeah. <laughs> everybody eats enough. When I was on the coast, it was like everybody was afraid to eat. So uh, <laughs> everybody was too skinny for what they're trying to do. Now that I'm here in the Midwest, it's like, oh, yeah, you're you're fed, aren't you? So <laughs> never Big skip boy. a meal, have you? <laughs> so uh, they're they're usually big enough here. Um, they got enough meat on their bones and, and things like that. So I mean that can be a positive. I mean for sure. Yeah. So okay, yeah. That'd be the one I'd think of of new people coming in. Okay. Uh, what about you, Mike? Um, something you see commonly with clients: a, a biological strength or weakness? Yeah, I would say a weakness. I see almost the exact same thing. Um, so I do a lot of fair off, just one off, uh, sessions on people or people come into town for them, that type of thing. And just doing even basically just manual muscle testing, strength testing, or, you know, just like watching their lifts, you pretty much everyone. And sadly it's more women than guys are more quad dominant. Although I see a lot of guys are very similar. Um, not much going on with glutes, hamstrings. And breathing is mostly all upper chest for the most part. So I'd say breathing mechanics and even just simply gait. Um, and then what's interesting with that is you can, and even some you know moderately more high level lifters, I've seen the same thing. I had a female lifter a while ago who was you know pulling deadlifting close to 400 pounds, and you know she was you know not a large person. And I watched the video and I'm like oh, it looks like you're using mainly two quads and one erector. You know, get her here, test everything else. Yep, that's pretty much it. And I'd say as a positive, the what I find fascinating is if you can get the body to find the more quote-unquote correct pathway, since the body's always seeking efficiency, a lot of times it'll change relatively fast from a neurologic standpoint. So if you can do some stuff, whether it's, you know, hands-on or mobility drills or whatever you prefer to do and say, get their breathing to be more efficient, a lot of times I won't have to really cue them or do a lot of stuff. You'll watch their breathing pattern just kind of automatically shift. Um, so on the plus side, I find that most of the time, not all the time, maybe 80, 90% of the time, it's relatively easy to change from a nervous system standpoint to get the right things to work in the correct patterns. And then obviously when they load it, making sure they don't go back to the, some of the same cues they were using before and making sure that they're um, using the correct muscles. So a lot of times I went to just not cueing them at all. So I had an online client who was here from Colorado. We had her do some deadlift stuff and it looked pretty good, but you could tell she was a little bit more forward on the bar. So tested her, got, you know, did some RPR type stuff, got all the muscles working better and had to go back out and work up to again, just a soft max. I didn't cue her at all. And what you could see is she actually shifted back because now she could use her glutes and her hamstrings much better. And she's like, wow, that felt easier. And I said, what else did you feel? She's like, well, I felt it in my hamstrings, you know? So I think just getting those muscles to work correctly, a lot of times they will then figure it out and start to use them right away because it's more efficient. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I, I'm going to answer that very briefly for bio because I know Phil's got to get off to work here. Um, this is mostly in the gym. This isn't so much with students or something, but uh, I see a lot of guys, they're interested in bodybuilding to the point that they want to compete and some people just don't, don't have the shape for it. You know, mm, bodybuilding yeah. is a weight class sport. And if you see guys with narrow sloping shoulders or non-existent calves that insert like two inches below the popliteal space back there, it's, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, I, if I was a judge, I, I would just be voting them harshly, even if I like them as a person. Now, I like the idea that different body shapes, you know, you can build up your strengths and look impressive in one way or the other, sort of like Tom Platt's with the legs or... Franco Columbo with his back and you know and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. But I think a lot of guys they're just not really they're they're they don't have that sort of statuesque silhouette. And mm -hmm. and that's that's just tough. That's just a biological thing. So I'm just gonna put that out there. Yeah. Um it, but you well, know that's what? just Those the reality of that sport. I mean that's yeah. did it. You know, yeah. You're standing on stage in your underwear and being judged. That's that's yeah. what's involved. Well, and I mean honestly if you look at it, it's every sport. Yeah, you know any any endeavor, 
athletically usually has a body type that fits it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To be at the elite. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So assessing so you yourself. Better. Yeah. Some kind of fair baseline assessment might be good. You know, like yes. I have little yeah. joints and I have a good shape. I, I'll try bodybuilding, you know, or yeah. yeah, whatever it is. Like I have a guy right now that is, he's a beast. He's like, he pulled 900 off the floor the other day and he's done 800 for oh. five. Oh my God. Uh, he he has four. Five? Yeah. On, on a squat with no bell. Wow. And he's probably what? listening right now or will be. <laughs> and I want to be a bodybuilder. You have 14 inch knees, Brian. Your knees are 14 inches. <laughs> right. You would have to be 685 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lean. Yeah. You know, to look like that. It's like, no, pick things up. Look at that. You just lifted. There's many top level pro strongmen that have not deadlifted 900 oh. without a belt. Oh, you know, right. and it's like, that's my job is like, look at people and like, oh, that's great. You have that goal. You're probably made for this. You right. know, right. So it's getting them to it's it's not a bad idea to chase what you're built for. Yeah. You're going to have more success in it, which is generally going to make you happy because um, right. nobody wants to suck. Yep. So, yep. Do they find it was easier for him? I'm not saying he hasn't worked hard at it, that it they kind of almost take it for granted a little bit, maybe. Yeah, I guess maybe. I mean, he's just I strong. Don't know. You know. Yeah. Oof. All right. Let's. Built- we're almost out of time, so I'm going to boil this down to psychosocial, and because these things kind of go together. Mm-hmm. So, Phil, what about yourself? Um, either either psychological or social, um, a, a strength or a weakness of, of your own. My biggest strength, I think, goes back to getting ran over as a child, um, and maybe it would be social too. But from an early, very early age, I learned how to how to fight for what I wanted. You know, I mean, you're talking about a seven-year-old that's stuck in a wheelchair and bedridden for a year. And what did I want to do? I want to get out there and play with my friends. I want to ride a bike again. I want to run. And they're telling me you'll never walk. And I'm like, no, that's not acceptable. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, from an early age, I learned that fight to, uh, I mean, okay, so I'm not built for this, but I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to figure it out. You know, so I think that's probably the biggest thing. And I think you see that a lot. I've seen it a lot myself in people that have faced adversity, uh, large amounts of adversity. They have a fight in them uh, psychologically that is just different. And it can make up for biological. uh, Mm -hmm. It can make up for uh, weaknesses in in your biology. So how about that would be the biggest thing. What about a negative of yourself? Something that's psychological or social? I think my biggest negative, I don't have it so much now. Um, and maybe, I mean, I still do, but questioning what you're doing. I mean, doubting, doubting your path instead of just, okay, well, I'm doing it. You know, and, and you see that a lot in, in other people too. You'll get rolling and then you start questioning what you're doing when you'd be better off just, um, even as far as research goes, okay, here's the plan. Let's see it through. Then assess after it's done instead of trying to assess during mm. um, at some point you need to you need to make a plan and you need to execute and then once that execution is over now is the time to assess what, how it went uh, you see too many people they never get a true assessment of, of, of something because they never see it through they start changing things midstream yeah that um, reminds me of a there's a Zen quote that says just <clears throat> stop all your bargaining and just get with a program yes you know. Yeah, and it's like see this thing out, and then okay, now I'm done. Now I can. Where did I go wrong? What went good? Okay, now let's make the change. You need to see each block of, of training out, each block of business. You know, of course, you know, in, in business, I think, and I guess training too. There's going to be times where a fire's lit and you have to put it out. Um, yeah, just yeah. But don't change everything on a whim. Yeah, don't throw it all out. To, yeah, you need to not doubt. I mean, that's a big thing, is is lose doubt and just roll. Just trust and go. Um, that can take you a long ways. Yeah, if you believe in something, it, it probably works. Yeah. So business training, diet, all those things. The people try something yep. for two weeks and, and they're just, they yes. throw it out. Yeah. I mean, there's one thing to be said for like lean startups and adjusting and monitoring, but yes. yeah, you can't throw out the whole plan every two fricking weeks. It's, you're never going to get anywhere. Um, uh, Mike, what about you? So psychosocial, either one strength and weakness of your own. Yeah, I'd say very similar. Um, I think having a bunch of more adversity when you're younger, I think, is a good thing, although it doesn't feel like it at that time. It feels horrible. Um, 
and similar to Phil, like just trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do. And then at the time I didn't realize it, but just making that happen and less concerned with the how, um, like for even I did a, a master's in mechanical engineering and I was not very good at math. I basically almost failed out of algebra in high school and I didn't really know how much math was involved in engineering. Mm. Sounds really stupid. Yeah. Um, and once I started taking the classes, I was like, Oh, this is pretty horrible. But I'm like, well, if this is what I want to do as an end goal, then this is what I have to figure out. You know, so I went to a private college where I did my undergrad because I knew I'd have to take a lot of math classes there. And I knew it would probably be easier, you know, to get help. So I was in the, you know, the professor's office. Every time they had office hours, I'd coerce other people into helping me. Hell, I paid some students to do their homework with them. Wow. <laughs> you know, just, just so I could figure it out. Um, and then the good part is that that kind of teaches you that whatever it is you want to do, you know, you can you know work harder and, and probably succeed in that area. Then I think as you get older in life, that also can be a negative because I know that my default habit is just drink more coffee, listen to more death metal and just work harder. Yeah, you know, you'll, yeah. you'll just be able to figure it out, you know, and there's a time and a place for that and you can get pretty far doing that. But especially after my PhD, I realized that the, the cost of doing that for years and years on end was pretty high. Um, and that that same habit, you want to default back to that because it's effective, but yet you know the cost is higher, especially in the future as you continue. So now I've been trying to say, you know, what does easy look like? I don't know if I got that from Tim Ferriss or Mike Bledsoe or one of those guys. Um, and that it's the end result that matters, not necessarily as much the process, right? So if a client hires me to do a program for them, they they want it because that's the roadmap to get them the result. They don't really care at all if that took me 20 minutes or five hours to do, you know? So my default was that if it wasn't hard when I was writing it, then it must not be a good program. And then as you get more into your skill set, you realize that it's actually flipped. You know, the stuff that I'm pretty good at doing is not that hard for me, but has a higher value to other people then. Yeah. So trying to focus more on those things, the end result and what value service you're providing, not necessarily how hard I think the process was. Mm. What about for you, Lonnie? Uh, well, just quickly, I, I guess if I keep it more psychosocial, this is sort of weirdly uh, dichotomous. I guess I'm just sort of a character in this way. But one-on-one, -on -one, I feel like I'm very compassionate with people, and that can be good. Um, if, I, if there's some way that I feel like I can help, I will bend over backwards to try to help a worthy situation. But if you notice, I just made a judgment there. The, the dark side yeah. of this is worthy. I'm judgmental and I am blunt sometimes. So... Uh, if someone's doing something stupid, I'll be like, well, that's not logical. Don't do that. You know, <laughs> and sometimes like at work or, you know, in the gym or something like that. Um, I've actually had people say, Lonnie, you know, what you're saying, is it wrong? But God, that was terse. You know, that was so coarse. Like, <laughs> don't say that. Like, you know, so I've actually gone so far as to if I, if I have a trusted friend that's sort of an intermediary, I'll be like, listen, what he or she is doing is is stupid you know here's why it's stupid can you please tell them that for me <laughs> it, like it, you know um you know sugarcoat it somehow so yeah there's that definite like in like in buddhist philosophy there's there's like um greed types you know that are really attached and greedy and then there's aversion types i'm more of an aversion type person if i don't like a, a scenario or uh, someone's being very fake or something like that i just avoid them life is too short get the hell away from me you know, and I'll dump my efforts into uh, people that, you know, situations that I deem are honorable in some way. But again, you can see you can see the the dark side of this. So oh, sure. I try to be very compassionate, but I have to work on being too judgmental, I think. And so uh, like in a classroom, if a student is struggling and I see they're really trying, they will be in my office and I'll be like, we need a new strategy. Your current strategy isn't working. You're getting an F. Yeah. Um, that's okay. Let's let's figure out a strategy. There is a way around this. You know, there's always another way, and you know that kind of stuff. But um, 
Yeah, so compassion on one side, and I think, again, these are psychological and social. And But, yeah, um, I'm pretty judgmental in that sort of aversion-type um, personality. So, Yeah, that's one thing I'm okay at, but I've noticed with students I'm not that great at because I tend to be very, maybe similar to you, at the extremes. Like, if I see someone is putting the time and effort in, I'll do whatever humanly possible to help them above and beyond whatever it is. Um, but if I see that they just don't seem to care, it's like, oh, it's so hard for me not to just want to check out, you know what I mean? Just be like, here you go. Here's what you need to do, you know, and trying to be more of service, I guess, to those people and figure out how, you know, and motivation's a whole separate thing, but how do you kind of get them sort of motivated so they are interested in it and Maybe someone will just never be interested in it. So, no, it's true. And you know yeah. what? I think when, when I talk about like other people too, whether I think it's in fitness or in academics, one of the things that I see a lot that's sort of a psychological issue is, uh, and I'm going to sound like an old fogey here, but this sense of entitlement that I see, a lot of people rip on millennials, and I think millennials have good things going for them in a lot of ways, but th this like lack of motivation, inattentiveness, everybody, they've grown up on cartoons about being the chosen one, you know, and they're so special <laughs> and they're special little snowflake. And at some point that that's contrary to what we've been talking about for the last hour, right? Which is pick what you're good at and pursue that with passion. You're not, you know, you're not the chosen one. You can't sit here and blow off and be inattentive and, you know, and just not value hard work. Uh, and, and stuff like that. So that's a psychological thing I think a lot of people need to overcome is they need to they need to have white-hot passion for something, choose something, and throw themselves into it. Meaning in life comes from the amount of yourself that you invest in a project or, you know, a, a life goal. And I, I don't I don't always see a lot of that. I don't know. Maybe Maybe that's generational. Maybe that's just my bias being older and curmudgeonly now. You know, but no, uh, I see the same thing. You know, there's a fair amount of students I work with who, you know, super passionate and are doing, you know, really good. You can tell they're putting in the the effort and generally do pretty good. Um, I think I was telling you, I had one student. We had this long discussion at the end. He's just like, you know, man. He's like, oh, I just really want a D out of this class. That's all I need. And in wow. my head, I'm thinking. Wow. That's your standard. <laughs> <laughs> I was like horrified. Yeah. You know, and I'm like. Wow, that's mind-boggling, you know. So, but that's you know that's where he was at because in his brain D was not an F, and he passed. Which you know, okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, there's the whirlwind tour. I mean, yeah. Oh my God, everything bio, psycho, social in an hour. <laughs> so, but at least it's some insights. Hopefully, people can you know apply some of that. Ask yourself these same questions: What are my strengths biologically? What are my weaknesses biologically and psychologically and socially? And I think it, it helps to know, right? That sort of baseline assessment, and then you can progress from where you are. So, All right. I, we are Three. more than out of time. So uh, we'll see everyone next time. See ya. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time.
So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.